There she is, Captain. Isn't she a beauty? Yes, she is, Mr. Scott. Is she ready to go? Aisa, she's ready to go to the stars. This is the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. Its mission to seek out new ideas, find new games, and to boldly bring the awesome to your game. Mr. Scott, Warp 9. I Captain. And now, our host. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Trav. This is Pixie. Oh, this is Rich. Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. Your podcast of realizing that we had 400 pages of game that we've never talked about before, really. And we're going to fix that right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Of course, of course, I have to do this now. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Santa Barbara, whose ongoing mission is to, is to deliver cargo and passengers on time and under budget, and to boldly go where no cargo ship has gone before. That was good. I like that. <laughs> that was cute, John. Yeah. Yeah. I was working on a background for the for the game, and I, and I realized that you know, there's all these various cooperatives being created during the. Uh, 20, the 2040s to 2060s, several cooperatives. All these citations formed a, cooper- a cooperative. The Citation Corporate Cooperative Pod, the CCCP. Wait a yeah. minute. <laughs> John, because the exact 2150, because there, were, there was an outlaw, to, because the Killer whales wanted to have their minds transferred into starships. Oh, oh yeah. yes, the Nightblock Corporation fiasco. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I read that, and I'm just, I've read that. Remember, I, I've had my FTL books now for like 20 years, you know, and I'm reading this, I'm going, oh, that's a phallus move there. Oh, that's just, no, 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 no. That's creepy. Yeah. Is that 2150? Or 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 what would no? Where was that? The night block? Probably close to twenty two fifty. Oh, no, let me. I'm looking right now. Uh, no, probably more around twenty, but twenty twenty two fifty. Or tw- in the twenty twos, because okay. yeah, there we go. Yeah, yeah, because night block uh, gets it comes in around twenty two Nightblock Industries funds the building of 21 starships of experimental design and utility. Uh-huh. And then 2322, Nightblock Industrial goes out of business after the experimental starship Altamera is stolen. Yeah. It was never stolen. It left on its own. Yes. It's, it swam away. So yes. to speak. Yeah. <laughs> Several of them did. Yeah. But yeah, the reason why I came up with the, with the CCCP, the Cetacean Corporate Cooperative Pod, was that it saves all those old illustrations of 
the Rus- Soviet Soviets in space. These are people working for the CCCP. <laughs> uh, actually, didn't you have the Soviets collapse, Richard? Yes, I did. Right on date, too. You heard it here, folks. He's a he's a, he's a, he's a regular Bruce Mar- Bruce Morrow. But yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's all these various races and we and colony worlds everywhere. Uh, one of the things when this game came out, because Bruce always wants to, always wants to talk about what's awesome about every, every one of our games, and when this game came out, one of the things I liked about it a lot, besides being you know being one of the people who helped make it, uh, was that of all the sci-fi games that were available at the time. And I didn't realize at the time because when I first got it, was like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? This is a game where, well, it's a game. With, I, I'm going to use a, a trope here. It's a game without hats. You know, but we all heard of you know, the trope called the, the, the planet of hats. And easy enough to invoke, ah, oh, I'm a Klingon warrior. I'm a, I'm a Ferengi trader. Those are hats. You know, everyone from Klingon's wow. a warrior. Everyone from Ferengi, uh, Ferengi Prime, where they call it, are traitors. You know, you know, it, it, totally ridiculous. But you know, there you go. But you look at FTL. There are no character classes. There are no, you know, anything like that. It's basically, you could be whatever you want to be. In fact, the focal, the focus characters of the of the focus characters in the game, Ben Bells and Qu- and uh, Quag. One of them, Bells, the Kimnar, is a jazz musician. Yeah. That is so not a hat right there. She's not a Kimnar warrior. She's not, you know, she's she's a jazz musician. <laughs> you know, and it's very much a game where you could, you know, yes, you have suggested skills. You know what? Yeah, that's that's for the average Kimnar. That's for the average Urkel. That's for the average whoever. But you could your character could be whatever they want to be, and that means you you as a GM could run games set wherever you want them to be. You don't have to have a spaceship to have a game in FTL. You know, there's in fact an entire campaign where you're colonists. Colonists. <laughs> you're trying to colonize a new world. Let's back up a second here. Okay, if we're going to start talking about campaign models. Okay, that's fine. Um, but yeah, you want to talk some more background? We should other talk things? more about these kinds of things. Okay, so for example, is is that if you say colonists, um, we know that there were an off, there were a number of really big colony starships. One of them is actually given to the sample player characters in the um, uh, in the game. So, uh, but I thought. Was it you or John or Richard who said that those colony ships actually don't work? No, no, I never said it didn't work. It, it, they're basically, but they're they're all ancient. I mean, they're four hundred year old ships. Literally, uh, literally most of them are four hundred year old ships. Well, how could they be four hundred years old? That was before we had FTL. The oldest one, uh, the Homesteader Conestoga, was built in twenty sixty eight, and it had a capacity of. I'm going to take this as 387 uh, awake passengers and 4,700 cryo passengers. All right. Well, okay. So 
let's let's look at the 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 plan of how you do colonization. Okay, the early ships. It sounds like you went to a planet. You took everything you could down to the ground, dismantling as much of the ship as possible and taking it down with you, and then waiting for another ship to show up with more stuff. Is that about right? No, I, I wouldn't. I would say, well, I would say you, the, the, that ship is that ship has a cargo capacity of of two thousand five hundred uh, containers. So that's probably enough, right? That you don't have to dismantle the ship, but yeah, but you keep the shuttles, you keep everything else, so you have some sort of space capability. Some of those things are probably a space station in a box, so there's something up in orbit, so that when the next ship shows up, they can get refueled. Well, if, if you're doing colonization, okay, I mean, are you doing colonization to join a non-existent, especially the early ones, a non-existent uh, commonwealth? Or, you know, are you doing colonization because you're trying to build a society that at some point will be reconnected back to the mother world, you know, by the next ship that comes down the pike? That's why I put it that way. Yeah, actually, that's a good question. Let's look at the first colony. I think that was Frenner. Was it Frenner was the first colony? You know, the, you'd have a lot of autonomy in those, very, in those early days, and so that's why I said is that pretty much when you go there, you'd be pretty much planning on just taking as much as you can down there because you ain't getting any more until you can establish some kind of a manufacturing and mining concern and I don't know how long that takes, but unless you've got really, really high tech, I would imagine it would take quite a while. So you'd be, you know, working off of of uh, legacy, um, you know, metals and feedstocks and stuff like that for decades, if not half a century at least. Yeah, I mean, the first the first colony was uh, was on Ross one twenty eight, a uh, a a red a uh, red dwarf uh, world. So it probably meant that colony was on a tidally locked world, um, living on the Terminator because that's the only place where it'll be. Yeah, where it'd be nice. We probably found it through telescopics, through telescopes, like the thing that the, the uh, upcoming James Webb. I imagine by twenty, by this time, we actually have something bigger in orbit, so you actually can get spectral analysis of the planet, so you know that hey, hey, it's got oxygen in the atmosphere, and oxygen in the atmosphere means. There's probably life there. I mean, probably means, I mean, there are some weird chemical processes that will produce oxygen, but they will also produce other gases as well. So if you just got oxygen and nitrogen, it's probably life. And that means you can can set set up shop there. Uh, If there was something else, you'd have something else in the atmosphere along with oxygen, and that would probably say that's chemicals. Right. Okay, for our listeners who don't understand what John is saying here, what he's saying is is that if you don't have life, normally the uh, free oxygen in an atmosphere is going to combine with things like iron and other things and get and, and basically become very low in the atmosphere content. So if you see a lot of oxygen in an atmosphere, something is releasing that oxygen as part of photosynthesis of some kind, and that means life. Yeah. And same thing for chlorine. Chlorine's another gas that will combine with other elements. So if you see free you know, molecular uh, chlorine atmosphere, there's life. Nothing we can deal with, but there's life on uh, that world too. 
So, yeah, uh, you got things like that. And so, yeah, we have a colony in 2060, which meant it wasn't, they didn't use a uh, kind of stoker for that. They used, what the heck they use for that? <laughs> a Brazilian? Uh, oh, a Fremont. Wow, that doesn't carry a whole lot of passengers. <laughs> oh, wow. So, yeah, so the first colony was done with, with basically a, a revamped system ship with uh, phase drives attached to it. Oh yeah, and phase drives are the are the MacGuffin in this game that get you from one star to another. They're the FTL drive, and how and don't ask how well they how they work because they work very well when they except when they don't. Yeah, essentially what we have in this game is we have a, a very standard tropes for science fiction of the time, which is that you use chemical uh, use chemical rockets of some kind to get you out into orbit. You use fusion drive to get you from orbit to the outer part of the solar system where you then light up your phase drive to kick you to the next star system or however many star systems away you're going. And then just reverse that process to get to the next planet. Yeah, so it, it, which is very very Asmovian, very Heinleinian and all the other people that wrote in the 50s uh, the 70s science fiction. I knew a lot of those people, too. <laughs> then it's nice to know where you got it. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying I didn't like it either, because that, was, to me, was one of the appeals of the game, was because you had a, a very clear technolo- technology as far as just the, the big brush strokes. Um, I had problems with the, 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 the detail on the technology, uh, which we had lots of discussions about, and that's good too. You know, game systems where it's not all spelled out is actually, you know, can create some very, very interesting um, uh, narratives as a result because you're you you can you know one person's game is not going to be exactly the same as another person's game. It's like you know so, but anyways, that's it. All depends on what you want. I know that a lot of people out there that are looking for a shake and bake campaign. You know, might have run into FTL and said, "Wow, that's a lot of detail. <laughs> that's a lot of stuff, a lot of options," and and might have been scared off by that. This 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 is an issue that's that's come up. Uh, it's come up actually many many years ago when I was busy trying to put the solar system into uh, the way we map uh, plant, planets and uh, into stellar systems, but our you know, Earth, Moon, you know, Mars, and so forth into the uh, system. And I came to realize that our ships move way too fast, Richard. They move really too fast. Uh, I, did the, I did the calculations. Uh, the average starship, uh, the average spaceship, I'm not going to call it starship, spaceships move at 3.5% speed of light in the game. Are you talking about under a fusion drive? Yes, and that's too fast. That's 600 G's acceleration. John, it's called science fiction. There wasn't anything like it at the time. Yes, and the thing is, there's a simple fix. Basically, the game uses a a system of zones and uh, bands or slots, as as they're called, and where things are put. And basically, it comes down because it takes one hour to cross one band. Well, one band and the solar system is about a quarter of an AU, or 37 million, 37, 300, no, three, yeah, 37.5 million miles. 
okay, yeah, that's a little too fast. Um, but you'd fix it by simply changing it from an hour to a day. And then it becomes 1G acceleration, and yeah, everything works. So it's a simple fix. Just change the, the travel time for an hour to a day, and yeah, yeah, no, it fixes the problem. You know, John, if you... You know, dividing 600 Gs by 24 does not give you one. No, actually, it does. <laughs> no, no, it, it, it's, it's the way accelerations work. I mean, basically, I ran through an, or, ran through an orbital calculator, a thrust calculator. The travel, the, the distance, it's basically, um, one, you know, two days. It basically, a good example is you're going from Earth to Mars, as is written in the game, when they're at the closest approach, it's a uh, half AU, it takes two hours. If you do it properly with 1G acceleration, it takes two days. <laughs> so 1G acceleration, it, it basically it adds up. Uh, and the 600G, in fact, you know, your top speed is actually faster than 375 million miles unless you're planning to hit the planet. And if you hit the planet, you're going to do 10 teratons of energy damage to the planet. Basically, you're doing one-tenth uh, Chicxulub Dinosaur killer asteroid impact. So yeah, slow the ships down. So yeah, your crew instead of spending ten hours to get out to out to uh, Uranus's orbit takes ten days. So you got a lot more free time in your hand. That's fine. Uh, no one complains of having more time. You know, more time to build character. But yeah, that's just a minor fix. You know, basically one one day instead of one hour, and that fixes the problem. Anyway, and it's a hand wave. I'm not going to go through and calculate, do the proper calculations because, you know what? That's too much math. The reason I do this is because, you know, there's, there's people like me who play the game who would go, wow, I can, I can take a starship and destroy a planet. You know, and uh, uh, the, 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 you have to deal with people like me, okay? Well, John, okay, even, if, e even at the lower speed, you could still do it. It'd just take you longer. Yeah, yeah, you're right, but then, but that gives it gives the uh, orbital defense lasers more time to you know blow you out of the sky. If you don't think, if you don't imagine Earth, Borcha, uh, Fox Cheer is the name of the Borcha homeworld. Fox Cheer, these worlds don't have orbital orbital defenses that can reach out and touch you at 10 AU's. Uh, then you got another thing coming. Uh, when you don't have to move it, you can make a really big X-ray laser in orbit and it has a range of about 20 uh, astronomical units and it will fry whatever you aim it at mm. yes <sighs> oh yeah space combat is brutal that yeah, yeah. yeah. Conversation. yes there's, there's a whole yeah there's a whole section basically it's the frontier 2448 uh campaign model and i like it because it has a bunch of uh, information on, you know, how, what kind of colony are you? Are you, are you like you said, a freebooter? Are you going out there just to, you know, start your own colony? You know, you're one of these groups of people who decided that, you know, heck with uh, Is Isco. We're going to go out to the frontier <laughs> someplace. We're going to go out 100 light years and find a planet and make it our own. I'm sure most people would do it for political or religious reasons. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Because that's where the money is. First of all, mm -hmm. to 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 get the thing financed. All right. You know, usually people who want to form a commune in space, they don't have a lot of money to begin with. 
So how are they going to get there or whatever? So, you know, either you're there as an adjunct to mining, and you're really a mining colony, okay, but, you, you know, but you're also farming and expanding across the planet, okay, or you're there because um, there's a local life form that's really valuable, you know, to the rest of the galaxy, but, you know, it naturally grows its best in, its, in the environment in which it developed, so you go there to become farmers of, of um, I can't think of the uh, really incredible drug that was in the, uh, um, in the Lesman series. <laughs> the one you take one dose and you're, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're uh, hooked for life. Yeah, actually, I'm thinking more of the, uh, from, um, from uh, um, Cosmic Com- Computer by H. Beam Piper. Bring him back into the story. Uh, melon, melon wine from Point Semi. Hal Clements Needle Tobacco. Yep. Oh yeah. And and some stuff will grow will grow differently. And, and, and yeah, melange. Yeah. And and uh, and some things will grow differently in other worlds. Yeah. Sometimes the cell chemistry will be different enough that the, the uh, plant or fruit or wherever you're growing will have a different flavor, a different taste, which may actually be valuable and don't forget spices spices are like you know it sounds so medieval but the thing is hey if if the peppercorns from uh ferner colony taste are both hot and have a little cinnamon taste to them because of soil chemistry that's great you know we can sell that people will find a way to use it and you know or, or there's a native plant that won't kill you but it makes a great, but it is really not nutritive, but it tastes great. It's a great spice or a great herb or, or you know, adjunct to a, to a dish. So yeah, I can see a lot of colonies. I mean, I'm looking at the at the at the setting. You're right. The half the colonies are mining colonies, which means they're probably on some little airless chunk of chunk of rock, mining the rock for whatever is inside of it. Well, yeah, because you want the lowest gravity possible for the highest amount of, of ore. Because it makes it easier to get it out into space because you're not using it there, right? Yep, and the other uh, 45% are farming colonies. Because guess what? You've got to feed those guys on those, on those mining colonies. And you also got to feed yourselves. That's true, too. And then about, yeah, and then about, I'd say, 6%. Uh, no, not 6%. Uh, Four percent are manufacturing, and these are probably either in space itself, you know, space colonies, uh, where they take advantage of zero g for a lot of zero g manufacture, or they're on some planet that um, you can't leave your dome because it's you know it's fluorine gas outside, but it's a great place for certain chemical processes that we, we manufacture things, you know stuff like that. And then there's the last two percent; they're the ones. They go out and find those worlds, which they are, they're not, there's no photosensitive going on in that world yet. It's basically a reducing atmosphere, which means methane, ammonia, stuff like that. They're going to make it habitable. They're going to go there and terraform it. A terraforming colony, uh, actually, a good, a good example of that would be um, Kim Stanley Robinson's uh, Red, Pla- uh, Red Mars, Green Mars, Blue Mars series. Is an example that it says it's going to take years to do. It ain't going to happen overnight. We failed what twice now or three times on Mars in the game. In game, it's like Mars is they tried terraforming Mars no, no, twice. No, no, Venus, Venus, 
Venus. Venus, yeah, 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 yeah. Venus was a failure. Yeah, it's just too too difficult. But yeah, they're going to be working on these worlds where it's, you know, okay, you know, just uh, it's almost there. Or worlds that need terraforming uh, because, well, there's nothing, there's no life on the land. Uh, good example. I was looking up the um, one of the colonies that I actually I I, I used before, uh, New Baron. Uh, it's on a uh, it's around a uh, an F type star. Now F type stars are short lived. They only have like six billion years to their lifespan at most. And I went looked up the star itself. Uh, it's Beta Virginis, and it's about almost three billion years old. And I said, "What's three billion years compared to Earth?" There's oxygen in the atmosphere, but there's no life on the land. And that's absolutely perfect because you can go there and, uh, well, you can put Terran life on the land and really terraform it, to at least terraform the land to be uh, compatible with Terran species. Uh, imagine along the coastlines and stuff like that, there will be something, some microbes and, and life forms there, but, you know, farther away, not so much. So, yeah, you'd, you'd be spreading your sewage out there and turning it into Terran, uh, Terran soil and, and growing those potatoes. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So yeah, the, that would be. So I would say New Baron is was a uh, a, a, um, a terraforming colony, but they were lucky because there's already oxygen there. They just needed to terraform the land to make it compatible. And there are complex multicellular life in the ocean, but probably nothing big enough to worry about. Knock on wood. Um, you know, because like you said, I we take we, it we, that the ISCO when they go to a county <laughs> world, they will sit there and check to see what life is already in the ecosystem there. Yeah, 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 yeah. They should. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, but what about <laughs> that aren't ISCO like these religious and political ones that well, just yeah we want to go there and. You know, we got the terraforming technology, and we're going to do this. Well, I mean, that's, you know, well, yeah. I mean, uh, there's actually good rules in the game about that. They actually talk about that. Um, for a lot of these colonies, ISCO stops by every six months and check out, checks up on you, make sure you're okay. Uh, they send supply ships about every month to stop by and, you know, or actually not every month. Uh, resupply can be every month. It can be... Oh, uh, weekly. In fact, uh, but that's in twenty four forty eight. Yeah, in the early colony, the early days is like okay. Uh, well, good luck. Send us a message if you're okay. You're close enough that you'll probably you can send us a radio message or a laser beam message, and we'll know what's going on ten years from now. Uh, <laughs> if you're gonna go and, and do terraforming, then you've got to have a reason for doing it. Okay. I mean, either you've got some kind of, you know, manifest destiny where you've got to, you've just got to do it. You know, again, that's a religious kind of point of view. Or, you know, you, you, because of where you are in the star lanes or whatever, this is the, if you can get this, this land crop, basically, I, I really can't see people terraforming unless they're growing plants. And so there, there's this crop you want to grow that in the quantities that you want to grow it, you're, you'll be really poised in a great spot for it. 
mostly they could, they could be mining, they could be agriculture, whatever, but I still think that the main reason the colonies would come into existence would be for either political, uh, sociological, or religious reasons. You know, that, that's, that's the over, that's the, the reason you're there. Everything else is, is just the secondary, you know, justification for you being there. Yeah, I I I kind of agree. Well, and don't forget, there is also the folks who want to, who basically just want to go there because, well, Earth is getting too crowded. They don't have the money. No, they don't. You're right. Yeah, but they, but yeah, they'll hitch a ride on a ship, and then when they land on, you know, uh, what's the world? What's it called? Uh, oh, that was, that was it, Ferner. Yeah, on the Ferner County in Ross 128. They go, see you guys later. I'm going over this way. I'm going to set myself up, up a hut, and they aren't going to live there. They're bye, you know. Uh, yeah, they're, they're going to basically uh, pig, pig, uh, uh, piggyback on the on somebody else's colony effort. Yeah, basically, they're looking, they're looking for 10 acres and a mule. <laughs> you know, and uh, Ferner County is the one that's the uh, on a tightly locked world. So yeah, that that's that that's uh, that's going to be fun because yeah, you can only go in one direction. Uh, unlike other colonies, you uh, you really can't go. Well, yes, you can go in the sun side, but after a while, it starts drying out, and then it, basically it's noon all day long, and it's hot, really hot. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and I still imagine that's probably this. Oh, not the uh, what? Not the Arcol. What's the uh, from, from Hanson's world? Arcol, Gay, and Tugan. Which one's a desert? I think Tukin's a desert. No. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the Arcole is the aquatic. Yeah. So yeah, the Tukin are desert. Yeah. So the Tukins will probably love settling on something like someplace like you know Ferner Ferner County, because yeah, hey, it's desert. It's dry. It's always bright. I can stay nice and warm and active all day long. <laughs> I would also imagine some of those early colonies were corporate colonies. You know, basically, we need to put the flag out there, and we need to go out there and, you know, make sure we have our imperature on this colony. This is going to be our colony, which, of course, led to things like Celestar and the subjugation of the uh, uh, Kimnars. You know, they went out there to find someone to subjugate, and they found somebody. I doubt that the Kimnard went down easily. I'm sure that, you know, they were like, yeah. uh, no. Well, the, the first colony, the first one they took on was was it was uh, Char. That's the that's the world my character came from, uh, and that's the correct pronunciation. Char, don't okay. correct me on it. Okay. <laughs> it's my world. Anyway, right. uh, and yeah, and um, and it, uh, Char was settled by well, the equivalent of Kimnarian hippies. They were sick and tired of the patriarchy, and they wanted to go, as you said. For for various reasons, and they they say they were sick and tired of the patriarchy. They didn't want anything to do with the, with the imperial Kimnarian presence, and they basically pulled up pulled up shop and moved to Char and settled down. And they basically were a fairly agrarian, you know, or ranching more correctly, ranching because Kimnars are are carnivores. But they do actually they do grow they do grow food because you need to feed your your animals so yes yeah, so they do do farming but it's all foods you know animal food, and they were basically having their own little world and their own little setup and you know, and then Celestar showed up, 
And basically, it all went to heck in a handbasket at that point. And uh, yeah, there are now military Kimnar living on. The, the Kim, John, the military yeah. Kimnar were subjugating the Bereans. They yeah, were using them for uh, farming and for other things. And in, in a way, that was their excuse. They broke the Kimnar tyranny on the Bereans, who were dumb as posts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the reason why. And and the, the thing is, the world they, the, the world the Celestia are called you know called a violent bunch of violent things. Was the one world that actually wasn't doing any of that. <laughs> Kachar didn't have any variants. Kachar didn't have any of this stuff. It was right. basically the Kimnars were you know they're the they're basically were in their little kibbutz, raising their stuff and just leave us alone. And here comes Celestar, and you know and all those photographs. They also like. The, the, they also like the seas and the fishing. Oh yes, Kimnars love fish. Oh yeah, they 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 stocked as many Kimnarian fish as they could in you know, the rivers and stuff like that. And yes, Kimnar kids will go. When Kimnar kids go for a swim, it's not just for exercise; it's it's for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, so. But yeah, so yeah, it was basically uh, the Celestar. Uh, the first world they attacked was the one world that basically wasn't doing what the rest of the Kimnars were doing. And yeah, all those vids showing the the evil Kimnars, where Kimnars defending themselves from the Celestar attacks, which weren't filmed. <laughs> and went downhill the from there. The problem was the the uh, uh, Celestar was at least fifty, sixty years ahead of the. Uh, of the Kimnar in spaceflight, and they basically wiped them out of the sky. Sort yeah. of like the Polish cavalry against uh, Nazi tanks. Yeah. Yeah. But they didn't have the excuse the, the Germans had, saying, but this is Prussia! <laughs> anyway. Yeah. And now I'm thinking of the scene in 300. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, it, it, it worked itself out, you know. So yeah, there's there are definitely military lines now on Kachar, uh, where the uh, uh, families and so forth. And it's more, and now the there's a uh, patriarchy governor on Kachar, so they're no longer the uh, autonomous colony they were before, which you know you can pretty much tell they they, they like it a whole lot. You have these folks out there colonizing worlds for various reasons, like I said, corporate worlds. I imagine a few corporate colonies. I mean, I, I would imagine that the former colony was more of a mining colony at first. It may, you know, because mm-hmm. because sadly, time marches on, and um, and Richard, you you fell you fell for the same trap a lot of science fiction authors fell fell for. Named stars, most named stars are really bright, and they're bright for a reason. They're all short lived. Um, yep. Yep. Formal Hut, unfortunately, when, when we did it, it was at home to a bunch of other science fiction stories, Dorsi and things like that. Unfortunately, we look at now, um, it's only 400 million, million years old, which means if there are any planets, and we think they are because there are at least five debris bands around Formal Hut. And you only get bands if there's planets in there making those bands through tidal through tidal interactions. So there actually are planets around Formulut, but they're going through the equivalent of the uh, mid to late bombardment phase that Earth went through. Which means you can read your books at night 
by the light of the planet. They're glowing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. So there. So, but I looked at it and said, okay, we can save Formalhut. Uh, we can save the uh, Alvarez station because uh, you know it doesn't have to orbit Formalhut. The late Doctor uh, Robert Forward came up with a way of putting a satellite into orbit that doesn't orbit. It's called Statite. It basically all it does is it it, it uh, provides enough thrust to keep itself in place over the planet or sun or, or star. And it turns out to keep a, uh, an O'Neill style cylindrical, cylindrical colony, which is about 20 kilometers long by 10 kilometers wide. And you have to have two of them for various reasons uh, to keep that mass in place about five AUs from a uh, formal hut. Cause five AUs, it works out to about the same brightness as Earth is, as Sol is to Earth, um, mm-hmm. you just need 40 kilometers worth of solar sail. And it, there's enough thrust to counteract the gravity of Formula, and that means you can put it where you need to. And you don't put it into the debris disk around Formula. You put it up about 45 degrees, or even over the pole. <sighs> I would actually so, put about 45, 45 degrees and let and basically use a little of that that thrust you're getting from the star to move it because it turns out it's easier to dock with a moving body than a stationary body. You burn more fuel docking with a stationary body than you do docking with a moving body. So it kind of goes in a, it's in a not orbit. It's just in place, thrusting along in a little circle above formal hut. There's another colony called America that basically is a big farming colony, also in a similar kind of orbit. And they just go around Formal Hut and they provide uh, space for all those miners. Because Formal Hut is a target-rich environment for asteroids and comets and stuff like that. You need water? You can get water by the metric ton load. Because there's all those cometary bodies out there. They can grab and you know bring back. So I would say format what originally was a, a mining colony that grew, grew really big. <sighs> yeah, because it's a major starport in the game. It's how oh, yeah. how close is formal hot to Earth? Twenty five light years. That's within the galactic neighborhood, quote unquote. Yep. Oh yeah. <laughs> We, we, we do know there is a planet around it right now, uh, Formula B. It's about, it's an elliptical orbit. It's about, on average, about 49 AU out from Formula Hut. And it's about three times as massive as Jupiter. And it's, oh. still, for, and it's still forming. <sighs> it's surrounded by a, a, a cloud of debris, du- a debris dust. So it's still building and making building itself. So yeah, we know it's there. Uh, turns out, hey, Rich, I don't know if you knew this. Formalot is actually a trinary system. <laughs> nope, didn't know at the time. Yeah, well, the thing is, we, we've, uh, about 1990, they figured out it was a binary system. And it wasn't only until like about uh, 2007 that they realized it was a trinary system. The, 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 the third star is about uh, 
two light years out from the pla- from Formalhut. But because Formalhut's so massive, it's within its gr- gravatic um, zone of control. Okay. So basically, it's well. The problem around- is we, we learned a lot when we were doing the star charts, the original book. We yeah. actually had help from Wilhelm Glaser, who was in Heidelberg, who was the man who charted the nearby stars. Yep. And there was just so much. Oh, yeah. There's just so much data. And uh, was it, I think you actually did plot out every star, didn't you? On some, on like a wall or something like that? Oh, my God. It was entire living room wall. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, that's the map, folks. So, you know what? Map out what you need. Don't map out everything. <laughs> there are programs out there that actually do it for you. There's a wonderful program called Celestia. Uh, it's a star app. Uh, that allows you to do, uh, to do one very important things. You can add planets to stars. You just need uh, to create the uh, the maps, uh, the the texture maps, and to find how big they are. Um, and it, there's some extra stuff to go along with it, and it's all on their website. And you can put planets around stars. So yeah, you could so very much create your own uh, solar system and have players go to it and see what the planets look like on your on your computer or laptop. So yeah, it's it's and it's and the positions will be a lot more accurate than they are right now in the game. So, but you know, Bruce said not to talk about, so that's all I'm going to say. We're not going to talk about it anymore. We have to do another one of these again to cover even more material that we didn't even uh, closely approach, which was the uh, the enemy stars, the war, what happens afterwards, the whole nine yards, and Richard tonight some rest. All right. Remind me, John, uh, since after all this, uh, what was the thing that was so awesome about this game? Oh, it, the awesome thing about this game is that as a player character and as a GM, you basically ha- you have an open, you have basically free free will, free reign to do whatever, whatever you want. Most science fiction games, even today, you have to be this class or this type. You have to go to these worlds. And do these things. You basically are dictated to and what you can and can't do. Right. Well, you're, you're saying is that most games have archetypes in them. Yes, archetypes or even classes. Uh, right now, uh, over in the city of Skypers, we're about to play Uncharted Worlds. It's based on the Apocalypse engine. And yeah, there's very set archetypes that, that don't give you a whole lot of leeway in what you can and can't do. So yeah, FTL, you can be a jazz musician. You can be a short order cook, you know, a, D- a Davian short order cook or a Davian bartender. But but I mean, it's it's not really that different than let's say in AD and D. The first thing you do is you create a set of stats. Okay, in in FTL, that's what we did. And then the next thing you did was you picked your race, just like you do in AD and D. And then you went on to pick skills because it was a skill based system. Well, D and D and other types of games like that were class based, yeah, or feat based. Okay, so, um, but yes, I mean, you know, there there was a kind of a. I, I agree that that uh, there that the original TriTac system had a great deal of flexibility built into it, and that was one of his great strong points. And also, its biggest problem too, because I remember as a first time GM going. The the abyss opens up before you're going. What do I do? <laughs> There's a whole galaxy out there to go to. Where do we go? 
And I was I have suggestions for systems to use myself. I mean, if I was actually well, I actually may run a game of 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 this. Uh, I would either use Savage Worlds, or or if I would really get nice and hard, Diaspora. Well, well, John, hold on a second. Okay, we have a game book here. Okay, and yes, it's designed to be used with its own system. All right. But it also has a lot of stats in it for like adjustments for like senses and um, various things like that. Okay, uh, what systems are easier to to move toward or away from? Um, well, in, with the with the senses, uh, Savage Worlds has does have the ability to create alien, various alien races, and a lot of these senses would just fall into different alien. Uh, either a- alien edges or alien hindrances, based on whether these are positive or, or, or negative. So you may you you may have bad eyesight. So that would be that would give you a, a extra points from beginning of other things like psionics. Uh, I'm thinking of the of the of the uh, krell, not krell, uh, the krell, not krell, uh, the trell, who are basically more or less blind, uh, but they have telekinesis. But John, you know this game, you know the TriTech game system, like so many game systems at its time, because it was the very early, and there weren't a whole lot of different systems. It is a D twenty, uh, essentially based system. I know that it uses percentiles, but almost all the percentiles were broken down into five percents. You know, five percents, right? So, like for example, a lot of these things could just translate very directly into a D twenty translation if you wanted to so for example somebody with very poor um eyesight for example might have a mice three under wisdom check or a mice four on their dex three on dex check or something like that or a saving throw they might get like a minus three or minus four well someone who's very acute goes up to a plus three uh plus four for dex i think i think in 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 in, in the uh, ogl uh d20 system uh, or even Pathfinder, do you actually have uh, various racial traits? So they could be that would be a racial trait that gives you a say a a, min- a, like a minus two on all all, vi- all vision checks. While while your other all your senses may be much more acute, without having to go and translate it into the D twenty system, I'm saying is that most of these things that have adjustments based upon situational kinds of things. They, they, if you just take them just the way they are in the book and just use the D20 system, it works just as well because it's, it's, these things would be applied uniformly across the D20 system. Yes, you might have some differences between other versions of D20 or even official versions of D20. But I'm just saying is that you know, a lot of times if you just wanted to say, take this book and say, hey, I want to create this, and this is the pluses I get, and these are the minuses I get, just go with it. It would work just fine. I'm looking at the Eras. It's G? Erzig. Okay, there you go. Erzig. Uh, Erzig. They have a plus 70 strength. Plus 70 strength. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would always want to say, because um, unfortunately, I think uh, FTL uses the same system for like like weights and so forth that the D twenty uses for weights for, based on strength. Mm-hmm. That plus seventy strength, okay, which by the way would still work, is probably not a plus seventy bonus. It's actually plus seventy to your strength generated. So if you've generated an eighteen strength, 
you'd add a plus 70 to it. Meaning that these guys are all massively strong. And which is, is every plus 2, you get a plus. So that's a plus 35. And there's no reason why you can't do that. I mean, if you look at the D20 system and its uses of um, uh, uh, the ep- is it the epic or whatever, you know, where you go up beyond the normal player, you're basically godlike. It's a, it's a style of play. And I'm saying is that that is possible and those kinds of pluses actually occur at that level. But the only thing I would say you'd have to do is average the dex agility modifiers to get the overall yeah. modifier. Because Diaspora is a fate-based system. Uh, it uses um, aspects. Yeah, right, which is, means it's nothing like this game. Yeah, nothing like this game. And lo- and, and basically, uh, you, you use the GM would just say, okay, here's your aspects. You're, you're, you have good vision, but you have, but you, but you, but you have a bad sense of smell. You know, and that it rolls into, and that would roll into the racial aspect at that point. You know, so it, 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 there, are, there are always ways to skin the cat. Yeah, it's just a, it's a matter of how much effort you want to put into it. And so I was just basically, what I was interested in doing was talking about how if somebody wanted to play this game here, you know, now, because, you know, it's not a, not a whole lot, it's not a, it's not a very popular game, you know, because most people don't even know it exists. And I'm saying is that when they come into it and they take a look at this two-volume book and they go, wow, this is a big thing here, I want, I want our audience to understand that because the original system is, is essentially a D20-based system, even though it's called percentiles, uh, it really... Uh, could be done very directly. You could, you know, by just either taking someone uh, taking a D20 system, whatever your choice of D20 is, and because there's various D20 systems out there, and uh, and just applying it, you know, uh, applying the the information as it's listed directly to it. Okay, or you can make the effort to actually go and do the the translation if you want. the The original system. Um, uh, in the ways in which I've modified it in my homebrew campaign that I ran for many years, uh, ran just fine under the original system with with the changes I made. I'd be glad to let anybody know who wanted to know how can you do this. Uh, I'd be glad to let you know. Uh, and but otherwise, I'm saying is that yeah, if you go beyond that, then you're going to get fir- it's going to require more and more effort until finally the the books basically become a campaign setting. And you just be, you're using somebody else's in system pretty much in its entirety, and you and at that point you're probably best to do what John suggests and go to more a, a description um, aspect based system because you're not using the system that's there anyways. So at that point you're having to translate it into a meta terms for that, and then go to a game system that uses meta terms like Fate does. Yeah, and you don't have to convert every alien in in this game in, in, immediately. I would say convert them as needed. So if the yeah. players want to want to play a, a Kimnar, a Borcha, and a um, and some humans, well, you just got to come up with the Borcha and Kimnars, and the other ones, you sort of kind of you wave them at that point. Not every place you go to has to be formal hut station, which has like a hundred different races wandering around inside of it. 
It's okay to just have two or three races in that section of space that you happen to be having your adventures in. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, or if you or if you decide to run a uh, world campaign, uh, you know, on one world, uh, you you can restrict the number of alien races that are there, and you only have to deal with a handful um, at that point. Yeah, yeah. That's what I said. Yeah. And be smart about your conversions. Uh, there, I can tell you horror stories of bad conversions by GMs who uh, thought they were doing the right thing. And I say, keep it simple. Uh, don't try to convert one-to-one, because that, that doesn't work. Uh, An example, I, I knew a GM who was going from D&D to GURPS, and he had a character in D&D who had 19 strength. This is a D&D back in the day. So that's a that's a big bonus, and that's a lot of, that's a lot of weight they got. So he he uses his metric, how much weight that character could carry, and turn it into a GURPS number. Well, it turned out the bonus he got from the strength of that character was enough to kill a person with one blow, and basically decapitate them with his bare hands. Yeah, a lot of times you don't do number by number; you go by whatever weight they can carry. Well, not even that. Go by the. I would say that the, that that's what his problem was. He went by how much weight he could carry, and unfortunately, Gerps you Gerps was much more finer in their increment uh, increment of how much weight you can carry versus D and D. So that nineteen turned into like a sixty in Gerps, and that's you know basically bang Frederick Berger, where he hit. Well, that doesn't sound like the problem is going one for one. It sounds like he chose the wrong system. Yeah, he, he chose the wrong thing to base it on. What he really should have based it on was what the what the bonus was for the character. That would give you a much better conversion. It's basically looking, you know, don't look at the raw numbers. Look at, you know, at the feel of the system. If the guy gets a plus six and your game system you're going to doesn't go above a plus four, okay, he's got a plus four. You know, he maxes out plus four. You know, one of the reasons we went with D20 Modern was because it was an easy translation from the Tritech system into that particular system, which is, again, why I'm trying to promote this idea of just using, like, D20 Modern or straight D20 or some other variant because, A, it's free, B, it's got a tremendous amount of support out there, and C, it's... um, it's easy translation in, in without getting too far off the scale. Oh yeah, I, I, I'm not saying that. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Yes, you're right. That is the best way of doing it. But of course, play the system that you're most familiar with if you can, because that way you're you'll have the most fun with the game. Yeah, uh, if you do go to a game system like Savage Worlds, just break out the um, get the, uh, the the science fiction supplement. And just use the convert. Just use the build an alien, build an alien tables to you know basically create the various aliens. It's fairly straightforward, and you know what? You don't have to be one. You have to be perfect, as long as you get the feeling of the of of the critter. Well, why don't we talk about that kind of stuff in our next our next session? Yeah, because yeah, we're really we've really only talked about the the ba- the first book. We haven't really even gotten into the second book. Yeah, we just we just dipped into it with the Frontier twenty four forty eight stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know, see, but yeah, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff in the, in the first book. I mean, yes, it, the, the first book is just full of, of lots of weapons and rules for various things. Which you know, depending on what you're using for your system, you can use. It does also have, I think, yeah, 
uh, no, the Critter Maker, I think, is in the second book. So, yeah, the Critter Maker is in the second book. Uh, but, yeah, there's a lot of gear in here, tons of gear. Unfortunately, the computers are way... Uh, just use a science fiction computer when you use this game, okay? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, no, again, it, this is one of those things where, you know, there's some pretty simple fixes that people want are willing to list those. And that's one reason why we're doing this is because, you know, when people get into these kinds of games, you know, there's a lot of places where hand, a little bit of hand-waving makes a big, big difference. Yeah. Uh, it is a it is a game that yes, if a player really wants to, I'd say they could play an AI. I'm 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 shocked that they didn't do more of it. But I believe I believe that uh, you find out in in cops that there was a huge backlash against AI, and it was essentially um, uh, made illegal throughout the galaxy, the known galaxy. You couldn't make new androids. The androids that were left basically left Earth. They're now all out in space. Where they're welcomed and, 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 and encouraged to stay. Because, yeah, we, there's, a, there's billions of people on Earth, and there's hundreds or thousands of us here. Here we can use the extra hands, you know, especially if you can lift two tons. So, yeah, yeah you see a lot of, but I'm talking about AI. I'm talking like a ship's AI. Now, people say, well, you're stuck in a ship. No. No, no. If you look at it's called drone technology. You actually could have many bodies with a ship's AI, and you could even follow the characters along on a world if you want to. You're not stuck in the ship, buoy where you are, but you can put your, you can reach out and touch yeah. and touch someone through various remotely operated um, bodies and vehicles. Just depends on the distance, because you know you, you if you get much further than orbit, uh, there's too much of a lag. Yeah, yeah, that. At that point, I would say the bodies would be if you do, if you are still involved, the bodies would be semi-autonomous. So yes, you get to play both your smart self and Fred, the 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 the, the body walks around occasionally. You know, two seconds out, think where everyone else says says things, um, because that's the time lag. That's the uh, for the communications to go back and forth. But yeah, it's but still, it's it's a viable character. Uh, in my in my opinion, playing a ship's AI, um, and yeah, and uh, but yeah, and, and don't be afraid of making new aliens too. I mean, the sample in the book is just that a sample. There's you know you literally can pl- you find the next the next world you go exploring could have another alien race, and that becomes a potential player character um, uh, player character race at that point. So yeah. Um, I would do say if you do create a new race, a new culture, um, stay away from the 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 planet of hats trope. You know there isn't going to be a single world government for the most part. It'll probably be multiple governments. Heck, there's multiple governments on Earth in this game. They're all under the under the uh, ICO, the International uh, Cooper- Cooperative, but they're independent governments more or less. It's a it's a big NGO. Uh, what ICO is, and ICO then is also part of the interstellar, no, the yeah, the interstellar science cooperative, which is also a big NGO. Really, ISCO says we're a government. Yeah, if it takes it takes two weeks to, to send send someone to, to deal with things. Yeah, you're not much of a government. NGO. 
non-government organization. Ah. FTL 24-8 is, well, a, well a, one of the older games, uh, science fiction role-playing games out there. It's one of the, it's one of the ones that has, I, I, I want to say, a lot of promise, a lot of breadth, a lot of depth that would be great to explore uh, and to inspire you to run whatever kind of, run the games of your imagination. You can be the crew of the, um, let's not call it the Serenity, but you're flying the Tranquility, going from world to world and getting in trouble. You are, you know, you're that colony trying really hard to survive to the next shipment from Earth. It's a game that lets you play a lot more science fiction stories than just we take the ship from Earth to Formula, sell our cargo, and go back. It's much more than that. Pick it up and let your mind wander the galaxy of, cha- of, of choices. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. This is Richard Tahoka. Wait till you see what's coming next. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at Tri-Tech Games. And if you don't, we'll be having your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.